On this week's episode, we take a trip into the black and white past of the Minutemen and this extraordinary being. Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf and a bunch of other stuff. I'm Taylor Trask. I'm Todd A. That was the smoothest intro you have ever done. (laughs) One take, Charlie. That's my name. Not that anyone would know, (laughs) but often often there's a little stumble in that and you just like you ripped through it so fast. I was like, oh shit, he nailed it. Yeah, because uh, I, I want to talk about this thing. But before we yeah. do, we, you and I haven't caught up since last week. So what, what's new in your world? It's Thanksgiving week as we as we record on a Monday. Yeah, man. Uh, just um, what's new in my world? Uh, you know, uh, when I'm not playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to catch up on all of the podcasts and shows that are impossible to catch up on for remind me, sure. Remind me, have you become a fan of the comic series die yet i no, know we've talked about not. drew and yeah. he has his issues but you i just with all the D you play i'm curious if you would like that series you should check this it is, out this is the kieran gillen one right? yes yes yeah yeah this is the one i heard him speak about at um like uh, horror comics or something at comic-con um it did look interesting but no i haven't um i haven't explored it yet now that we're past volume one, it's getting a little tedious. But if he can, if he and the team can nail the nail the mid that sort of mid section, I don't know how many volumes they have planned for. I was going to say seasons, how many volumes they have planned for, or how many issues in general. But um, it seems like one of those books that you that they should get over and done with fairly quickly. Um, maybe I, you know, I, ideally it'd be something that they could collect volumes one through four into like a really nice hardcover are they that many volumes in already they're one in i think they're three issues into volume two if i'm not mistaken as of yeah yeah, yeah. i was like holy shit that's like way older than i thought i thought it was just a year year year-ish old yeah but they're just cranking through them like they had a plan and it's obviously selling well enough so they're just it's not one of those like hickman titles that comes and goes every eight months and you're like oh there it is i guess enjoy it and, and move along speaking of which i have been getting reports from other friends that the um, the Hickman's X-Men sort of you know, like post house of X run. And now he's, he's consulting. He's not writing them as deep, as deliberately as he was house of X powers of 10, but I've heard that's going fairly well too. So I may have to dip back in from time to hmm. time. I, the problem, there's like seven s- sort of spinoff stories, each focusing on a different aspect of X-Men or like a mutant team members. So it's, it's kind of, they're going to get into the same trouble they've always had, which is like, there's just so many too many threads to follow. And they did such nice, tight storytelling in House of X, Powers of 10, that I would almost rather they just have kept that going. You know, and it's just <laughs> like one continuity. Definitely. I, I feel so bad because after our last catch up on comics and my like enthusiastic uh, endorsement of this comic shop that I'd gone into that's relatively new. And uh, I, I just haven't like been, I haven't been back. Honestly, I haven't even Aww. like I didn't fill out the pull pull list thing that I meant to pull uh, to fill out, and um, it's just that overwhelm. Like, 
you know, it's a thing we, that comes up from time to time and just that, like, there's so much good media to consume that it's it's difficult to pick and choose, you know? I mean, I, I definitely feel that, like, uh, a paralysis of choice kind of thing a lot. And I don't want to go spend money on more comics that are just going to sit on my shelf, as are all those Just Imagine Stan Lee books that are right there. Yeah, this is a problem. I, I sort of hit this back in August. And we've talked about it online and offline, too. I've just My shelf is getting too full. And at some point, I'm just not going to have space anymore, even if I offload some of those those new books or new issues to the iPad, which increasingly for single issues I'm doing, unless there's like a really cool variant or a collectability angle to single issues, I'm just finding more and more of the iPad. I suppose you know that I have an iPad Pro. <laughs> Did I let you know I had an iPad Oh, I didn't know you got that. So, yeah, uh, I've upgraded since. Um, a work gift to myself this year. Cause how... What what screen size did you get on that? Great question. I deliberated yeah. on that for the longest time because yeah. other than the screen size, they're exactly the same specs. Um, same processor, same everything. You can even get the same, you know, different sizes. I mean, the the uh, different hard drive space, all that, all that's the same. The screen's the yeah. only differentiator. Yeah. And I was really thinking I was going to get the bigger one, the 14 incher. I think it's like 13.9, but let's just call it 14. I was going to get that one. I went into the Apple store at least five or six times over the course of two weeks to play around and just be sure. Cause I didn't want it. I didn't want the hassle of like getting one and be like, nah, and then taking it back. And then, you know, you, you start to get apps on that thing. It's a lot harder to undo a buying decision like that. So went in, played both of them. I was convinced I was gonna get the 14 inch. And as I was playing with it the final day, I was like, you know what? I think that's just going to be too big. And sure enough, I am liking that slightly smaller screen. It's exactly the right size for my use case, although plenty of online forums, you know, there's a, these questions are everywhere. And a lot of people are like, look, man, it really comes down to what you specifically want to get out of it. The bigger one, while it's great, it is harder to like the whole point of an iPad is for me is portability. Yeah. Like I want, I don't want any reason that I can't take you pop it in my leather bag and take it with me as a, you know, like when I leave the office, I don't leave my laptop at the office, take the iPad with me. It's, it's supposed to be sort of my, anything that's not, like video editing or like heavy design right, work right, I'll just right. do it on my iPad. and um and i wanted the pencil because i'm like well i get it and it's so i amazing. had budget i budgeted for the bigger one without the pencil i'm like you know what if i if i shrink down i can afford the pencil too and just honestly the size is exactly the right size for me it's it's it is not it's bigger than a regular ipad so it does give you more breathing room for sure which is great yeah. But it's just, I think that bigger one is really more of a laptop replacement. Yeah. And the slightly smaller one is just like, no, no, no. This is like what the iPad should have always been. And then here it is. So that's kind of, I, that's where it fell. I hate these, the sizes of the iPads. This drives me so crazy. I'm so happy that I got one last year when it was 9.7 on the iPad. You like that to me is That to me is the perfect size. Ah. Um, and now the new iPad, not Pro, is 10.2 inches the iPad Air is 10.5 inches. The smaller iPad Pro is 11 inches, and the larger one is 12.9. And it's like, it what are you doing? Why, why, why? I do, it's so frustrating to me. Like, and this is the thing that occur, has occurred to me lately. Why don't you make them the size of a printed paper that we have had for decades and decades and decades? Make an A5 size. Make yeah. a B5 size. Make a B6 size or like that's your phone or whatever. Like just like give it an analog to something in a physical life. Because to me, I can't I mean, you're, you're totally right to like go to the store and check it out. Because to me, it's like I don't know if I want a 10.2 or a 10.5. Like that could make all the difference to me. Yeah. And I, I get that one has like better features. But it, to me, it would be such a, a better apples to apples comparison. Like if 
you know, if the air and the, and the iPad and the pro were all 10.5, then I would go, okay, now this is a features comparison. But, Mm. but part of me is like, I want the pro features, but I think that extra, like, 1.3 1.3 inches is going to be too much. Like it's just going to be wobbly. The 9.5. I'm already terrified of dropping this thing on my face. I think I'm like that's reading a bit. definitely <laughs> the case with the 13 incher. I said 14 before you write. It's 13. It's definitely the case with the 13. It's almost too big. Like you can't one hand it. That was the big problem. Like I want to be able to like one hand this thing yep, yep. without it having to be on my lap if I needed to. And so that's too big for that purpose. But this 11, I mean, I have the 11 in a nice kind of folio case and it's like, it's perfect. It's you if anything, you almost look at the the iPad, you come front. And I had like an Air, like the first Air circa 2013. Yeah. So I was, you know, six years in, I was kind of due for an upgrade anyway. And I really wanted to get more like work use out of it. It had become, my Air had become kind of a personal device at best. And it was just kind of getting less and less and less use as my phone was more powerful, blah, blah, blah. But the, the 11 inches actually, I agree with you. I think the analog to paper is hugely important because there's so many things that you're like, if this was just the size of paper, this would be so much easier. But I mean, like Microsoft OneNote is beautiful on it. Like, I think you would get used to it. And it's mainly because they, the bezel is exactly the same width all the way around. So it doesn't have the button at the bottom or those kind of like, you know how the, on the air and maybe the new iPad, it's like the bezel on the top and bottom or the traditional kind of thicker and on the edge, it's thinner. That's fine, I guess. But the pro removes all that just makes it equal. So it's, Oh, it's worth looking at. I, I almost wish that the Pro was the iPad yeah. and then like they just iterated on sizes and not have this like it's weird that they're going back to like now we're not calling it the Air anymore. It's just iPad again. Yeah, but I was like, well, what version no, do you keep track no, of it? But there is a new Air. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? I mean, I get the Pro, well, the Pro's different, but the Air and the so there's an iPad that's not an Air that looks like the Air? Yes. Well, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, this there's is not an the iPad, Apple. an iPad Air, and an iPad Pro. This is the Mac line before Steve Jobs came back. Yeah. Where when he yeah. came back and he was like, why do you have eight different lines of Macs? This is yeah. so confusing. Pro and non-pro. Done. You know? It's like, amazing to me that nobody in that culture at Apple can replicate his just violent attention to detail and and like loathing of complication. It's like how many people worked under him or directly with him who can't channel that? I get you. I mean, you don't want to be an asshole like he was to some extent, but at the same point, we're the people going, Hey, look, there's a reason we were so successful. It's because we had very clean, easy to understand product lines. Even when the iPad, you know, the iPod was coming out and there was like the, the nano and the yeah. mini, like that still made sense. You look at like the icons and it's like, okay, there's like three different versions of iPod and then pick your color and then pick your, your terrible, your uh, megabyte size or yeah. whatever gigabyte size. Um, geez. I mean, ugh, well, I, I do think part of this, I think is that some of the like iPad air versus iPad I honestly think I, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I haven't read anything on this, but I, my consumer perception of it is like, this is <laughs> just consumer testing at large. Like mm. they really just want to know, like, what do people actually prefer there? Can we get away with like a 0.3 inch, you know, greater screen? If like, if that means reducing some weight and changing some memory settings or whatever they're doing, that's different, you know, but I'm super happy with the 9.7 and I just hope it lasts me for six years and they decide to just keep one 10 inches. Cause I don't want to walk around with like a 17 inch fucking iPad. <laughs> other thing to, to mention about the 12.9 <laughs> as we become the Apple cast here, the yeah. other thing about the 12.9 is that it doesn't fit comfortably on a airplane, um, little cart, the thing, the little tray in front of you. Oh man, it sticks off the sides. And so the 11 is kind of the biggest you can get while having it kind of adhere to those traditional use cases. 
Yeah. No, great point. And see, to me, so many, um, because I uh, another thing I don't know that you and I have ever discussed on the show is that, but I think you probably know is that I'm like bag obsessed. Like I have like a stupid amount of backpacks and shoulder bags and things like that. I just love like having the perfect carrying case for whatever it is I'm carrying. And often those are scaled to paper size, like notebook size. So anytime Apple changes something by a couple inches, it's like, oh, dude. Or or if they're not scaled to paper size, they're scaled to like laptop size. So, you know, I, I had a perfect 11-inch sleeve for uh, my Chromebook that, you know, is just a little bit too big for my iPad and would be just a little bit too small for any other iPad, <laughs> that kind of thing. See, I, I weighed that when I was looking too at the same exact, like, consideration. Here's a question, though. Do you think – at one point, do you think laptops officially become – like desktops and that they are rarer in the in the wild and they're more like oh specialty use cases and everybody just has some version of a mobile device whether it be a phone a phablet a tablet etc or just i mean god even i'm even so like at some point was just like does somebody just walk around like a bunch of voice ai and they don't even have a screen is it just that you uh, know it's are we are we on the cusp we're on the cusp for sure but i you know i just i um honestly i think the fact that like laptops are uh, still like essential is such that's such an interesting case now what how many years are we into the ipad it's like 11 or something right or 2010 okay. yeah i think 2010 was it yeah. um that was the so it's one you know like we we've been aware of tablet computing for a while and every year it's like oh this will be the one that replaces your laptop and nope it doesn't but I'm seeing you know? more and more, if you go to a coffee shop, I'm seeing more and more people have iPads with the case that has the keyboard built into the case. True. And I'm I'm seeing these like just these little and who knows what they're doing with them. It could be any number of things, but like it just it's I'm seeing it more and more where I never saw that with like Chromebooks or like the little sort of like laptop light computers that I think they still might sell. Like the Chromebook kind of invented that category, but everybody yeah. else sort of piled in. Um I'm seeing iPads take on that more. And then just I've seen more and more people just do business on their phones. Like well, their phones are big enough to handle it now too. So it's, it's interesting. I, I hate the big phone. We could go, we could keep ranting about it. this will be my tech to for this year. My, yes. my airing of grievances, but yeah, I got a, you know, I got a bigger phone and I just, I got the XL pixel and I do not like it. And I don't, I don't hate it. It's a beautiful a piece of tech, but it's like just too big for my hand and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And because I have an iPad, it's like, oh, I don't even need this. I wish this were just the, you know, the text and now obviously a camera, sure. But like, you know, I don't want to do work on that. But I do have an endorsement, which is I got this Logitech Bluetooth keyboard when I got my <laughs> iPad and it is awesome. I oh, love good. the feel of this thing with these like little scalloped keys and it was 20 bucks. And that to me is a pleasure to write on. The only problem is that the iPad uh, because there's no mouse, you ha- you're constantly kind of interacting with the screen and it often, it'll do that thing where like, you know, then the keyboard jumps up. Like if you're in Google docs, you know, like, mm-hmm. did you mean to, did you mean to get all this formatting back or whatever? <laughs> and so you're constantly like minimizing that. And there's a lot more operational stuff that you have to do. Whereas if I'm typing on a laptop, I don't have to worry about that. But, but it, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't think I would enjoy writing on an iPad so much, but it, I think it's, Amazing. This podcast sponsored by Logitech. Logitech bringing keyboards to iPads since 19... Not 20, yeah. whatever. No, let's jump in because we are... Uh, I, I hit you up earlier today. We usually... We, we had sort of loosely 
discuss doing these watching the Watchmen episodes kind of like every two, just so we have more two, to talk yeah, every about. Every two episodes, yeah. But uh, holy the fuck, like last night, the greatest episode of TV titled This Extraordinary Being I mean, I, I, yeah. aired. And I was just like, uh, we have to talk about this right now. I can't go through Thanksgiving <laughs> and not and not share thoughts. So I let's just jump right in. And my first question to you was, what I mean, like overall, did you like it? Did you did you like it as much as I and apparently a lot of other people yeah. did, or were you sort of like, I don't know? No, no, no. I, I there were there were times where I just stopped and I was like, this is such incredibly smart filmmaking. Like I I can't get over the way they're paying off stuff and echoing stuff from the movie and the comic and earlier episode, I was just blown away by everything about this, like execution and writing and acting. And, and like, I mean, just, you know, the black and white and the color and the use of all that. Oh, jeez, It was so, so unbelievable. If they never made a show called the Watchmen, they're just like, Hey, look, we're going to do a one-off like HBO paid us to make like the hooded justice origin story movie. This would be it. This would be perfect. Just as that, I would yeah. totally accept this. I mean, you'd have to rub off the the kind of the beginning and the end with Angela, but like, yeah. um, it's 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 such a great and and my favorite part about this is that in Watchmen lore, so many of the characters, especially with before Watchmen, and I know some fans don't acknowledge that, like it's you know like the book is pure Watchmen, and then I think the show, the HBO show, is becoming more and more sort of accepted as like official canon before Watchmen's kind of, you know, you, you hit and miss. You find people who do like it or accept it. Those who don't, we won't even talk about doomsday clock, but the, the nice thing about this is that hooded justice was always the most mysterious character. They never, no one's ever really done a take on him. Like before Watchmen did a lot of really cool stuff with the original night owl and silhouette, um, delved into their backstories more. Um, uh, the, uh, the book itself, watch Watchmen has like one of those at the end of one of the chapters, there is a newspaper sort of interview with hood of justice. So it does give more context to the character, but it was one of those that they just, no one ever picked up on. So for Damon Lindelof to go, Hey, if I'm going to build a show around something, let's take kind of one of those nuggets that really hasn't been mined that much yet and picking hood of justice and then putting this slant on it made it way more interesting. Not that it wasn't interesting. There's all, you know, the mystery of who he was or what he was, was always kind of there. But the fact that now we have a definitive backstory, that's even more complicated and interesting than I would have imagined just makes, I'm just, what a great choice to take that character, this guy to tie in. And and I mentioned at the beginning, like, I was like, man, he's bringing up a lot of important topics around race and, mm-hmm. you know, the future that it is, he better be really careful because this is just going to be a whole lot of nothing if he doesn't t- tie this together well. And last night's episode really gave me the confidence, like, holy crap, this is going somewhere. This is going somewhere very deliberate. And uh, I am more on, I was always on board, but now I'm like, man, I really, now, I, now I'm comfortable about like, hey, we're, I don't care where we're going, but it's going somewhere and I'm ready. I'm ready to, to, to visit that destination. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'd read this, I waited until um, I knew when we were going to record, I saw this headline come up from Polygon about how, uh, you know, they basically, the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the title of the article, but it was HBO's Watchmen changed comic canon without changing anything. Yeah. And that way that like Lindelof found a gap in like what you're just de- exactly what you're describing. Like he was the most mysterious figure, but he was also central and important. Mm-hmm. But it was, so it left this big blank slate to like insert it in there. Um, and I think it, I think it contextualized it in that way of like, they're not, they don't have to mess with the original stories at all. 
Not at but all. They, at all. And, and because it fits into the Tulsa riots, it's like, oh my God, this, or the Tulsa massacre, like this, you just centered this in like a real life episode and the comic history and your own alternate history. And I, I mean, it was just genius. Like, and it makes this whole time I've been like, I've been kind of going, well, why Tulsa? Like what a weird thing to, I mean, mm. it's, it's great that he's exposing that history, but I'm like, what a weird thing to just go. We went from New York in the book and now we're going to do Tulsa. But last night really makes, okay, that's why Tulsa It's because that guy he he has a history in that place, so now it feels even more enshrined in Watchmen canon than what it, just kind of a cool idea or a take for a TV you know a TV spinoff. It's like no 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 no. Hooded Justice was always part you know connected to Tulsa as much as the rest of the team is to New York. Let's just say it it's as much a part of that fabric of the story based on last night as and that's kind of the, that was the big missing missing piece for me. It was just why Tulsa? Like that was always nagging at me. Like why, what, and I'm still curious, like what the big end game is. Like, you know, we talked last week about, you know, Watchmen, the graphic novel is a very, it's, it's a bunch of personal stories, but the overarching arc is global thermal nuclear war. And how do we avert it? Right. That's a very big macro event. And I've been wondering, like, what's Tulsa's a very you know small by comparison kind of thing. Like what's the, what is that about? And it's, that's always been nagging at me. And now it's like, oh, that's why Tulsa, that guy. And it's curious, like, if you kind of look ahead, I know you don't, but Lady True, <laughs> you know, talked about in, in the coming soon, like she's got some plan and Tulsa's in, important to that beyond just, hey, I'm going to build a shrine here that's going to last the ages. Like, so it's, it's all kind of coalescing in this beautiful way. Uh, yeah. And you're right. I like that point. Like they didn't have to, they didn't retcon anything like, yeah. Uh, Hooded Justice's relationship with Captain Metropolis was always part of canon. That's not new. I did read it. <laughs> Don't go to Reddit after these things, folks. It's just not <laughs> just not healthy. I read somebody like, they made Hooded Justice gay for PC reasons. I'm like, okay, in the book in the 80s, it was highly suggested that he was he had something going on with Nelson Gardner. Whether he's bi, gay, who cares? That wasn't invented for the show. That in fact, they took that thread and really made it more interesting last yeah. night. I mean, and you can almost see too, just the fact that this was the first guy to put on a, a mask and like, and fight crime and like everything else is built on his shoulders. Just the symbolism of that in this series, I think was perfect. It's like, you take this character, we didn't know much about him before we knew a little bit, a lot of mystery. And now he's literally the linchpin to this entire season of, of TV we're watching. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's perfect. Are we done? Are we done with the episode? <laughs> sure. Sure. No, but like I, mean, I go ahead. Sorry. I, the other thing is like, uh, and then separating it, it, you, you touched on this earlier, but separating it from the whole Watchmen universe, just as a superhero or crime fighting vigilante origin story, this was better than anything we've ever seen on screen. Oh my God. Like I, there, I, I, and I can't remember if we did this on air or where this conversation happened. I just had this conversation recently about like sort of Batman's motivation beyond, you know, uh, like once he gets vengeance basically for his parents' uh, murder, then, you know, what is it? Like you, you don't really get in the origin story how he cares so much about Gotham, right? You know, you just, you just see a kid impacted by this terrible tragedy. Um, but like, here's hooded justice like that, you know, that moment when, uh, when he shoots red, like mm -hmm. as a cop, you know, approaches him and, and red doesn't, uh, recognize him. And he shoots him and then realizes, like, you know, I'm going to put the hood on and go in this warehouse and deliver some justice was it was like all this fits. It all fit like the whole yeah. history, this whole thing of like 
you know, the Tulsa massacre and like your discrimination on the police force and off the police force and like this weird, you know, uh, racist cabal and like this sort of secret organization all, I was just like, ah, it all, it all works. <laughs> and, and they still had their cake and ate it too with a weird little watchman twist of a, like basically like a mesmerized, a mesmerizing Ray. Like the fact oh, that yeah. like crazy, like bond so villain great. sort of like hypnosis machine existed in then. And the fact that will took it inappropriate, like the biggest, yeah. the what biggest payoff. We'll go back. We'll go back and talk more. But like the biggest shock to me was, oh, he did kill Judd. Yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't kidding. He, he just didn't have to physically do it. But the fact that he had that thing and he used it to basically force Judd to kill himself, like he, that, I mean, who knows how he, he may have used it, you know, many, many times since yeah. um, as well, too. But just that reveal was kind of like, oh, because I, yeah, I was... thought that was going to be, you know, I thought him being responsible was probably the least likely scenario for for how judd died i thought it was gonna be way more complicated than that but nope yeah nope. that was amazing and i know we want to get into like some theorizing about uh judd and some other things um i wanted to point out a couple of the the uh, cinematic things that just like blew my mind as we're talking about the warehouse thing and when he goes into the grocery store yeah and they start shooting at him mm-hmm. you know it's not like they they it's not like he uh, and then he jumps out the window and that echo of in this universe, the minute men like um, TV show in which hooded justice comes breaking in a window of yeah. a grocery store to foil a crime was so like, like in such a brief second was like, what a commentary on how we remember sort of civil <laughs> rights events or yeah. something like that, you know, like, yeah. Oh, in this case, like, you know, he's, and and I think sort of tied in my in my head to that is the, you know, when we have that opening scene from their their own TV show uh, where uh, Hooded Justice unmasks and it's a white guy and you're like, oh, they didn't even know like Rorschach's Journal, Hollis Mason, none of these people like even knew the identity enough to you know uh, in the Polygon article they talk about how Hollis Mason like in his biography, uh, theorized about who it might be, but he didn't even know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so it's, it, there was that interesting thing of like, oh yeah, because they don't know, of course it's this white guy hero that busts into a delicatessen and busts up this, yeah. you know, this gang. But in reality, um, you know, it was a black hero and the gang was trying to kill him and he had to bust out. <laughs> yeah. Of the grocery the store or whatever. I, I love that juxtaposition too, because the thing that I thought, pretty quickly on like once he once they try to hang him they let him down and then he goes oh. and he sees that rape or whatever robbery in the, the alleyway yeah the fight sequences are so just just i mean it is as realistic as i've ever seen yeah. fight depicted in any sort of comic medium maybe outside of daredevil the daredevil tv series has some really good moments too but it's kind of crazy to juxtapose last night with those hyper, you know, Zack Snydery Minutemen yeah. things that we saw where the fighting is just very stylized. And here you got have a guy just literally smacking the hell out of these people. And it's it's not glamorous. It looks yeah. like it hurts. I mean, even I mean, even knowing that it was stunt people, I'm like, that I mean, yeah. I feel I feel hurt just watching this. Yeah. And to have that just keep I mean, and he's just like 
I mean, almost like he's on speed, just tearing through these guys. Boom, 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 smack, smack. Like I actually had to turn it down because it was so oh, yeah. violent. Oh my God. And, but just, you need that juxtaposition of sound, sort of that over the top, highly stylized Minutemen thing that we saw to make yeah. this even more impact. Cause if we just saw that, it'd be like, wow, that was pretty real. But yeah. you're thinking in your head about how you saw Hooded Justice before, which is a neat trick to kind of set this up in the right way to, for, for maximum impact, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah, you see the Zack Snyder version of it in the like TV show clip yeah. where the blood is like kind of spraying out in slow motion, and then he has like a tagline at the end, cheese, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you see like the really rough and tumble part of it. And what what I loved so much about that was it, like it definitely also was an echo of the Dan and Laurie fight in the alley, and yes, yes. but there was such like righteous anger to it. You know, it wasn't like two people going like yeah, let's kick some ass because these are bad guys and we're good guys. You know, it was like, this is a man who is like, like these events have happened just prior to that. And, uh, you know, something snaps in his head and he, and he, and he just very righteously gets his anger out. And then to go home to his wife and say like, you're right. I'm angry. Like that was, (laughs) Oh Jesus. I'm glad that happened. Cause they had that exchange before where she's like, you're, she's like, you're angry. He's like, what? And he's sitting there all calmly and she's like, and that's why you're angry. And I was like, that doesn't explain anything. Yeah, yeah. I, and then, so, but then to see it later on that, then it paid off. And I was like, for a hot, about five minutes, I'm like, that was a weird line to I deliver right then. Totally agree. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't, I don't understand the relationship here. It's like, um, that's why you're angry. He's sitting there calmly talking to you. Like, what, who are you to judge? And then, but then you realize who she is. Like, oh, I see. Well, that makes it just that would have been the only thing I would have changed is just the delivery of that line, maybe further along. So you had a little more context for her and him. Cause I'm like, is she his sister? Like, you don't, you don't know at first yeah, until yeah, like they exactly. make out. Then it's like, oh, well, clearly girlfriend or something. But then who, who, but then the baby, and I had almost forgotten about the baby. So yeah. they, I'm glad they actually showed yep. that flashback. I'm like, ah, oh, good, good, good. Well, and so I, um, uh, the other echo or juxtaposition I wanted to bring up um, before we get to the wild speculating was uh, they make that point about how um, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember his wife's character's name, like that, that she, you know, encourages him to paint the white face. And so he ends up painting this little sort of Lone Ranger white mask and then his son ends up imitating it. But Sister Knight imitates that in reverse. Yeah. So not even knowing that this happened, she's been painting this black Lone Ranger mask on her face. Um, and it was like, Oh my God, like just the, the, just the smarts to kind of put that together. I mean, I know that's like a little detail, but that's just what makes the show so good. Please don't. His wife's name is, his wife's name is, please don't middle off this. Please don't. His wife's name is Ruth Williams. Cool. Ruth. Um, yeah, I just I keep thinking about that kid in the restaurant with the stick of dynamite and it's getting closer and closer and he's just sitting there calmly like, watch. And you're like, but you blew your hand off clearly before. What's going on? And it's just just watch. Just watch what I yep. do. It's like, <laughs> okay. All right. It's like, I guess we go. Now, one of the other things I really loved about this episode <clears throat> was the uh, all I'm I'm a sucker for any of the Minuteman stuff. So the my favorite two before Watchmen volumes are the Ozymandias one, which we've talked about on this episode. And then the Minutemen one, which is just unbelievable. It's like if you liked last night's episode, go freaking buy that Before Watchmen Minutemen series um, because it's a lot of the same stuff. It's very it's much more serious than you'd think. And there's a lot of sort of similar themes. I wonder if they hadn't if they didn't read that or 
or absorb some of that when they were writing this because I saw a lot of little, not not um, Easter eggs or touch points, but just like, oh, there's a lot of common thread here, story stylistically, story-wise. One of my favorite parts, though, was the guy, whoever they cast to be uh, Nelson Gardner was spot so spot on. Oh the second, my God. Before he even said his name, he walks into their apartment. I was like, holy shit, there's Captain Metropolis. He's like, I'm Nelson Gardner. I was like, yes, you are. My God, they found like the exact right guy to play that guy. And then just, and then seeing yeah. that, how that relationship actually started and then seeing um, that. And my other favorite part was when he's revealed to the press for the first time. And they're yeah. in that room that I, I don't, I didn't look, uh, go back to the Snyder movie to see how close it was, but it, the room yeah. looked very similar to the room yeah. that they show <laughs> numerous times in the Snyder movie. And then they actually did this beautiful thing where they blurred sort of hazily blurred the other Minutemen. So you see them there, you see like a vague kind of comedian sort of person and a mothman, but they don't focus on them because they are not the focus of the story. Hooded Justice and, and Captain Metropolis are. And I liked that, that you weren't distracted, but you still knew exactly where they were and where that fits into the continuity of the graphic novel. Like, I love that. Just that little touch. Yeah, it was, I, I had the same feeling too of like, there, it's all kind of set up in the Watchmen graphic novel. I don't know if they ever get explicit, but it's like they have their own Avengers mansion kind of thing, like where a couple yeah. of those scenes take place. And yeah, as soon as that happened, even the framing of it, I was like, I swear this is like comic book framing of this panel, you know, like I said, this seems like I've seen it before. Um, and especially to betray him right in front of the cameras was that was like a huge story point I thought too. And like to, I don't know, just to put it all in that context. I mean, I'm just enjoying the crap out of this. Like this is just so cool. Everything they're doing. <laughs> and I also love when you have a show like, like this one of those things I longed for with game of Thrones, where you just, sometimes you wanted like, please don't jump around in this episode. Like yeah. you've got that, like we've got so many threads dangling. We just really need to like tie one up right here, you know? Yep, and yep. so to have this full exploration of that um, and in such a cool way too, like with the nostalgia pills that Angela's taken, it's like, oh, I just, you know, there's already like a, it's one of those things like what's the price that she's going to have to pay after this, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the, what do you think the sort of Schindler's list? Uh, it's his mom playing the piano, but like, mm -hmm. why do you think she kept popping in and she was the only one in color? Um, every time she that character would pop in and sort of be playing piano in the background as the scenes changed. You know, I I don't have anything any deep thoughts about that. I I wondered that too. I noticed too that she. Was oh, you in know color, what? But his mom she... is Ruth. I think I don't think that's his wife's name. I might be mistaken on that. Sorry. Oh, oh right. But you know, he in an earlier episode, I somehow we knew that he used to go to the movies where his mom played the the piano during the silent pictures, and that's where he, like, you know. Uh, first encountered that hero, that black sheriff, right? Yeah, yeah and, that's or, or or maybe we just saw a, a clip of that and we didn't know who was seeing that. I can't remember. Um, so I think it was just, uh, I think it had something to do with like in his memory, you know, he's in a black and white theater and, and his mom was in color or something. I, I didn't oh, like, I didn't try to, I mean, I have no idea, but it, yeah, you're right. It stood out in the black and white. And there's right at the beginning of it, I think, because I started re-watching the episode before we hit record just to kind of refresh myself, right when Angela, like, you know, sort of, <laughs> like, uh, enters the memories, like, I'm pretty sure her, the police uniform she's wearing is in color, and then sort of like she looks around and everyone's in black and white, and it 
you know, sort of pans back up and it's in black and white. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But, yeah. but the mom playing the piano is the only person and she pops back in at least four or five times and she's yeah. always in color. And it's always, I'm wondering if that isn't Angela's. And and think about it at the end, Angela, um, it's it's that, I think it's that, I think it's the mom who tells her to come back to the present, basically. It pulls her back out of that. Because remember, yeah. there's that older woman. Yeah, who, yeah, it's an older woman. I think that's who that is. I'm well, wondering... Well, I'm, oh. the point I'm making is I'm wondering if the piano playing isn't the thing that keeps Angela tethered in, at least tethered to reality mm-hmm. while she witnesses this. I There's just also couldn't... the, yeah. There's also the drumming, which was like very oh, blatant yeah. to me, where it starts with the the drum roll of the the police officer, um, and then the then there's a lot of places where there's just percussion uh, in a scene and I couldn't, I mean, that to me was a, a weird callback to Birdman, which I was going to say both, percussive yes, yes. soundtrack. Um, you know, and I assume it was, they were sort of playing, I mean, how could they not be aware of that? It won an Academy Award. So it was Very like, had essential. to be, yeah, exactly. It had to be sort of playing with that. Like, Oh, this was effective in, uh, confusing reality and fantasy in that movie. And we're going to put it in here, but here's my question about the old lady. I took that to be, I could be way off here. I took that to be um, Will's wife when she was Angela's grandmother. Ah, that's exactly who it is because I'm looking at it now. Okay. And it, is, it is her wife. So it is his wife. She's she's crying, saying, don't you ever, you know, we don't want to hear from you again. She disappears. And then an yeah. older woman walks into frame who looks exactly, I'm assuming, and she's she's touching Angela's face. I'm watching this in real time as I say it. Um, that's exactly who this is. That's Will's wife. So that's Angela's grandma. Um, and then she turns into color. Yeah. She's saying. So that's her memory, not Will's memory at that moment. It's her memory sort of overriding Will's memory. It's like, yeah. that's the bookend. It's like, oh, so that's Will's memory. And then she sees that and goes, hey, that's my grandma. And then she walks into frame going, come on home, honey. Um, and then she pops up and the true the true office um which i was surprised were you surprised by that to just see lady true hanging out in a chair just like oh i love it <laughs> how annoyed she is sort of like i've been babysitting you all this time You're well, we don't away. know how much time has passed that's the best yeah. part it's like this could be two weeks it could be a day yeah. we we don't know and they intentionally didn't tell us it's not like you've been asleep for three weeks credits it's like nope and she's got this weird sort of device on her that's pumping something in or taking something out we don't know yeah. um that's crazy okay so a uh, couple more things and then we can get into the wild speculation the other scene that really where i knew this was gonna be one of the best episodes they've done was when he brings red in for the first time when will brings him in and he's trying to book him and red's being all surly and racist and everything and the cop goes what did you <laughs> say to our patrolman he's like yeah. you apologize to him and i'm like oh Oh, that's a nice unexpected thing. And then you find out that they're completely just just screwing around. It's not true. It's not it's not genuine at all. It's part of a greater yeah. conspiracy. But for like a hot second, I was like, oh, and then just to have that ripped out from under me, I was like, damn it. Well, now I'm on board because that was I just love that subversion. So yeah. much of this subversion, like all all along the way. Like you you're like, well, they're hanging him up, so he clearly lives, but what the hell? Like, how does he get you know, does he get revenge? Like you're just you're constantly and the best part, yeah. best part about all this. Remember that the flashback was one of the central tools used on Lost to tell stories. And it was always from a particular person's point of view. So you never knew. I mean, as the viewer, you assumed that what you were seeing was correct. But it was always through a character's point of view. And you never knew for sure if it was distorted or not by that character's experiences. Here, 
I feel like you know, okay, she's taking somebody else's memories, so she's not misremembering. She, this is like this is what Will experienced. So it's a little subjective, but she's still experiencing it this way. But I just love the fact that Lindelof used an old tool from the box to mm-hmm. do this. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'll just you know, throw a flashback in every once in a while for Lost fans. Like, no, 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 I'm going to use that, but I'm using it very, very effectively. Um, oh, yeah. In this, in this context, I just love, I love that they, he's, he's come so far. I'm so proud of him, Todd. <laughs> Our boy's grown up. He's making great TV. Let's keep writing. Let's just let's not go too far. <laughs> writing, writing the wrongs of his past. Yeah. We'll the right, we'll director see. of Tomorrowland. <laughs> or writer of. Writer of Tomorrowland. But he also wrote The Leftovers, which a lot of people like. And I don't know, maybe that's, I haven't watched it. I can't say a lot of people, a lot of people were like, yeah, you know what? He, he did good. Um, let's go though to the most important speculation. <sighs> Judd Nelson at the end. Judd, now, Nelson, Judd Crawford. <laughs> Judd Crawford. Sorry. <laughs> you, what, you didn't see Judd raises Nelson? raises one in? fist in the air and it freeze frames. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> no, Judd Crawford. Thank you. I, uh, I was a little... <sighs> what we're seeing was surrealist and dreamlike. So it, we're not... You know, even though we were seeing very realistic fight scenes play out that last sequence was incredibly like it was clearly against a green screen as as he was on the hill talking to him like he just is very very arch and very surreal and like very theatrical like even the blocking like the way like they're you know uh don johnson's cheating out towards the audience as he's talking to will in the chair it just it it looked like a stage play and i was just like why why are they taking that angle with it like are is what we're seeing here true because i just i feel like judd was a much more nuanced character don johnson played him way more nuanced as a character so for him just to suddenly be like ah you know i'm uh, uh yeah i'm a racist yeah, well not even that <laughs> we that's not even necessarily true like we it's not clear it's just like look my grandpa i i you know my grandpa was in the force he was a clansman i, I mean maybe he keeps the clan robe to remind himself of what he shouldn't become like we never he never says and we yeah. never hear and so Will's just like, I don't care. And he, he starts to flash him with his little mind rapey yeah. device. And then like we get the end of it. But so it's like, we know Judd Crawford is clearly not Dan Dryberg. So that theory, sadly, my little theory is completely shot to hell. And that's fine. Um, so then the question is, okay, well, like he must've been related to one of those guys in, you know, that either hanged him or <clears throat> was responsible for it. It's very likely he was the second shooter who came into Angela's home when she was passing out, who was like kind of staring, standing above her, looking over her, that was probably him. But then it's like, okay, well, why? Like, why? It, I, I want to know more of his mind. I'm sure we'll get it before the end. But it's just, it was such a, that as, as clean and as clear and as sort of easy to understand as the rest of the episode was, that dreamy sort of sequence was the only thing that was like, well, is this really what happened? I don't, I can't tell. Yeah. Well, you okay. So another part of that is, do you think Keen is telling the truth in that he took over one part of the seventh, uh, uh, cavalry and Judd took over another to keep no. those racists in line. Not at all. No. Okay. So you, you think that's BS, but, but Judd has some other, there's some other thing going on with Judd because I, he, I agree. He, like it, it wrapped I up. Judd, I was going to say, I think he, Judd and Keen are working together. I don't think that's, that's what that, it is. Yeah, that's okay. No, great. Great. Yeah. They're working together, but Keen was still trying to mislead uh, Mirabal. Exactly. Um, so he, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's one of those things you point out, like this is Will's memory of the event and maybe not the truth. 
Um, well, remember Angela's sitting in that chair for a good chunk of that scene. Like it's not just, um, Oh God, what the hell's the guy's name? Who's the, who plays Will? <laughs> oh, Louis, Louis Gossett Jr. Thank you. Like, Jeez, the yeah. name just escaped me. Yeah, Louis Gossett Jr. is in the chair, but then it's Angela for a lot of it. And it just made me wonder like, is this her, is this the memory fading? You know, is this nostalgia mm, wearing mm, off? Yeah. And she's, getting just kind of, cause it was really arch. Like I'm just watching it like 57 minutes, 56 minutes, 35 seconds. It looks like a stage play. Like it's not shot like the rest of it is. No, no, no. Right. There's just something, it just makes me wonder like, what is she seeing? What is she not seeing? You know, I hope she confronts Will in the next episode for real. Cause he's obviously alive. You know, he's at the true compound too, or yeah. was. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, but like, what, what's I, your take about, I mean, what's your take on Judd? If you had to right here now, you know, you're the, you're the jury based on this evidence. What would you say Judd's deal is? I, I, you know, what I was prepared before this episode to yeah. write off the clan robe, like that, that this was a mistaken discovery. Like it had either been planted there to cause her suspicion or, or something else, you know, like I, I was sort of prepared. Like, I don't think that's Judd's and we're going to find out like whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, when he said it's my grandfather's, it was like, or father's grandfather's, I think Brothers. I was like, well, that's weird. Um, but then, then this one word he used drove me crazy. And he said, it's my legacy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now that is not a neutral term <laughs> in my mind. No, like no. he, it's not, it's not my history or it's a, you know, it's a part of my past that I, I my need heritage. To yeah, even heritage would have been like a little, little on the like, you know, too much in the daughters of the Confederacy, like, mm. you know, a trigger word kind of thing. But I, it would have made sense. Like this is just a this is a piece of my past I need to remember. I you know so that I don't do it or as I don't fall too far into this or whatever. Yeah. Like there are a million ways to explain it, but he said legacy, and it was like, why would you want to carry this down? Like why? Why is this any part of your legacy? That's really weird to me. Yeah. Um, so I really wonder what's going on. I still don't, I don't want to give any credence to the idea that he's the second shooter. Although it's like so too convenient in the way that this, the filmmaking has happened that she gets shot and then he's the first face she sees, you know, it's like, yeah. that just feels like a clue in the language of this you know, the cinema that we're watching, but, but if he's, I mean, it makes sense structurally because if right. the second shooter came in, who was, who, you know, wasn't Judd, he would have just killed, he would have seen her because like, he saw her pass out. Like that, there was a figure standing over her as she's passing out. Why not just kill her? Instead, she's saved and she winds up in the hospital and then Judd's there. It's like, okay, well then if he's, if it's not him, it would have had to been somebody really high up Maybe it was Keen. I don't know. Somebody really high up who's like, oh, we need to keep her around for reasons that will be revealed. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. I just, I'm, oh man, I'm so, you know, it's funny at the very beginning, as I'm rewatching the opening credits, it goes, this episode contains scenes with a strobing effect. Yeah. It could affect photos. And I was like, is that part of like, is that sort of like the, uh, you know, one of those affectations, like the, the Minutemen thing or something? And then I had forgotten about it until the very end. I was like, yeah. oh, there's the seizure strobe. I see what they were, because it, man, it's pretty, Boy, it's I have a headache real. just watching it right now. It's just kind of like, man, there it is. Um, Interesting. Okay, so, ah, I really wanted Judd to be Dan Dryberg, damn it. That just, that was making some, <laughs> but here's the other. Think, I don't think the ages match up at all. I think, you know, Dan would have been like, 
70 or 80 years old. Same age as Lori, right? Yeah, that's true. But I think Gene Smart's 70. Well, Don Johnson's 70. I guess that's true. But just, I mean. Boy, I'm, yeah. But anyway, but but here's the other question. So like she shows up, she goes into the the I was gonna say the Dryberg house. She goes into the Crawford house, has a chit chat with his wife. We never get to see that discussion. So yeah. she knows something that Lori, she has Lori. not. Lori, yeah, yeah Lori yeah. knows something we haven't been privy to. She knows something that Angela. Now Angela okay. has more information yet, but Angela doesn't know either. So what is that thing she knows? Like what? Lori has more cards and they're intentionally not giving us like, she's not a point of view character for us. She was in that one episode when she's talking to Dr. Manhattan, but that's, this isn't her story. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit more, but it's not, she is there to facilitate some stuff, but she's not, this isn't her story. This is, I don't even think this is lady true's story because she's not, she hasn't been as cool as she is. She hasn't been around as much. And you know, I almost think she's a head fake. Like, hey, remember Adrian Veidt's crazy plan? This is yeah. crazy. This is crazy too, and she's eccentric. It's like, yeah, but we've we've seen that. Like, this seems to be a show that just keeps saying to us again and again, subtly and very forcibly, we've seen we we have Watchmen. There's the book. There's the movie. There's all the supplemental material. Like, we have that. We've seen that already. So we're going to honor that and homage it, but this is totally new. Like we're not going to follow the same tropes necessarily. We're going to do something new and interesting. I think that's truly when we say stick the landing, that's truly what we, what I'm imagining. It's like, how do you make this wholly original honor the source material, sequelize that material, but still do something that that material never did and make it just as relevant. Like that's the, the magic okay. trick that we're going to see unfold over the last three episodes. So here's my crazy idea about that. And I don't know whether I like this idea or not in the, in the comic book, the original comic, the, it, yeah, like you uh, mentioned before, it was about, um, uh, nuclear destruction. How, how do we avert the, um, absolute destruction of humankind? And it played all on the, I can't remember what it was called. I mean, was it just called the nuclear clock or the doomsday Doomsday. clock or something like that? That was the real thing that these like social scientists called it. And they would say we're five minutes to midnight. And this was like a real thing in the seventies and eighties, I guess, of like how close we were to imminent destruction because of the tension between the USSR and America. Um, So Veidt had this crazy idea to basically distract the world (laughs) by dropping a giant alien psychic squid on I think he does it on several cities or is nope, it just, nope, New York? just, just, just New York? Just New York. Yeah. Okay. So, it, it, you know, um, it's such a crazy disaster and it makes everyone fear something from outer space. So they all band together and avert nuclear disaster is the show and all the tick tock. Um, because we, you know, we did hear, Oh God, we did hear Judd say tick tock early yep. on. And then that's like, that's the, you know, catchphrase of the seventh, uh, um, Cavalry. Um, By the way, I mix up cavalry and cavalry all the time in my head. It drives me crazy. Um, uh, I'm wondering if their TikTok, if this is a literal like metaphor for present day America and the TikTok is towards like a race war. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Or, you know, is this this an allegory in that sense of like... to, to know no. that they were working on a hypno ray back in the 30s or 40s or whenever that was, um, 40s I think they were working on a hypno ray at that point. Mm-hmm. It make and you know now Keen is you know they're working on um, the teleportation 
doorway. So like this, it's easy to draw a line from that to this and say, oh, that's kind of where they started. And that was their lo-fi tech of the time, even though it's, you know, crazy sort of, you know, Dr. Evil. Yeah. But to draw a line from that to now, it's like, okay, is, is that same mission still there? But they've had time and resources to really make more of it. And so what, what Keen's doing is just an extension of, of that. But then it's like, this is tricky for me because the world of the Watchmen is not the same as the world we live in now. Meaning that that deviation point, both in the, in the fact that there were here masked vigilantes, you know, we never had those for real. We never had Dr. Manhattan for real. We never had, you know, 16 years of Nixon or however many there were like, we never yeah. had any of that. So yes, you could say racism as a, as a core belief, you know, is, is sort of universal, but I just, the, the, the dynamics and the demographics of the U S now and our reality, and then the U S and Watchmen reality are not the same thing at all. So to, to think that like, there's this group of people that all they've ever wanted was to just wipe out black people. Like it just seems in the, with all the things going on in the show and then just the, the world of the Watchmen, is that really like, is it, maybe that's the point. It's like, look, man, even with all that, that's still a problem. And it's yeah. and in this world, it's one that's so bad that the, they have to unite to stop it. Like it's a superhero problem. Right. And I, that's fine. Well, but it's just, it just seems it's, it's like mixing two, two things that I don't know if they go together yet. I mean, the, not no. that you can't talk about racism in the watch in Watchmen, but like, if that's the central tenant of this, which is, you know, Lady Truth's like, we got to stop the next race. Well, they're going to use the teleportation to- doorway to, to teleport a racist into every black home to kill them all. Like, if that's where this is going, it's going to be too ridiculous. Right, right, be, right. You know? And I'm worried about this, like, two on the nose kind of thing of, like, yeah. get, get it, America? Wink, you know? But I it do can't see be the, that. I it do see the that. possibility that Keen and True are playing the role of Vite in that they are doing something that is... Um, objectively destructive because they have this weird ideal and a lack of any like moral compass that says, Hey, you can't kill a million people (laughs) to, to stop a, you know, a a distant possibility like that, you know, that, that whole thing of like, I've done the math and this is what it works out to is it's still like (laughs) morally suspect. There is the shadow. Yeah. So I, I wonder if they're doing something like that, you know, but, and I really like the fact that you've brought up the mesmer ray a couple times makes me wonder like, well, is that what the tower is? Is this somehow going to be like, this is, this is that at scale and they are going to mesmerize all of Oklahoma and like hypnotize them not to be racist or something like that. (laughs) That would be on the nose too. Like that would be just ridiculous. It's like, you know, a a Klansman goes into every black household and that will, I mean like all of that seems weird. But I'll tell you what I don't want to happen. I don't want this to be, um, a, a Dr. Manhattan solves everybody's problems. Thing. It can't be that. No, it can't be that. Yeah. I mean, I want to see him pop up, but only after or, or tangential to, you know, Angela, um, Wade, those guys doing this as their own team, you know, regardless of, of Dr. Manhattan. The other thing we have to look at is that the shadow of Adrian Veidt has been hanging over this whole storyline, both metaphorically yeah. and in terms of scenes. It's like his scenes, he's the B story, but they always he always pops in kind of as like a reminder, like, remember, he's still out there. Yeah. And, I kind of, and I wonder if that's not to say, look, he did, and especially after we got Wade's episode last week, which is like, you know, really shows you the squid and, and you know, the, the comic book sort of uh, idea of, of, of Vite's plan put into action. 
it makes me wonder if they're not like reminding the audience, look, this guy tried this once before and it didn't really work. Like the world's not truly really isn't fixed. And Lady True clearly has a, has a fanboy crush on him to some extent. She bought his company. She has a statue right, of him right, in her right. garden. So I'm almost wondering if her play isn't, look, I know what he did. Any idiot could have figured it out. And, and she's brilliant. So it'd be even easier for her. And she's like, I know what he did. It didn't really work. We're, we're heading, we're still heading in the same direction. It's only a matter of time. So he didn't think big enough. He didn't think like, you know, I'm going to take it a step further. And then maybe like, to your point, maybe it's like the mesmer ray, you know, the epicenter will be in Oklahoma, but that the waves, the ripples of that ray will go across the world. Cause she is building, I mean, a, a giant antenna. Let's just be honest. Like that thing, she's that clock is a gigantic antenna. Yeah. It's centrally located for all the reasons she explained before, but it's like, okay, you combine that. She's teamed up with Will. He's there. She knows he has that technology. I'm sure she could invent, you know, she could have had something else too, but it just, it all seems to be going to that, but it can't. Yeah. Do you, I mean, the question then is if that's the case, and even if it's like some other variation of that, is the point then for Angela to stop it? You know, what is that the point of all this? Because in, in the book, it's like, look, we got to stop this guy. He, and then he's he already put into place. So then it's like, well, now we're helpless. So now what do we do? And it's sort of, Watchmen sort of has this just crazy, you know, like Dr. Manhattan leaves. Rorschach, you know, basically gives him a, 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 a oh God, what's the, t- I've lost my vocabulary, Todd. He gives him a, <laughs> he gives him a, um, what's the word that you use to describe a, uh, I'm going to either do this or die. What's the, what, <laughs> what's the I ultimatum. Don't even, ultimatum Christ in heaven. I was like, is this an object? <laughs> ultimatum. I don't know why that word slipped my head. Anyway, Rorschach gives, uh, um, Vita an ultimatum and then he dies for it. Dr. Manhattan just leaves in disgust. R- Lori and, uh, Dan Dryberg hook up. Just, they just get it on it because they didn't know what else to do. They're like, the world might be ending. Let's just, let's just screw. Um, and that's kind of like where they all end up and then Vite realizes, you know, he's Dr. Manhattan leaves him so sort of uncertain of himself that he's left to kind of just mutter in the darkness about like, I did the right thing, didn't I? Surely I did, right? Right? Makes me wonder if he didn't, that didn't make him kind of slightly insane, which is why he's sort of a bit of a hot mess when we flashed in him on uh, on uh, Europa. Yeah. Or I'm assuming it's Europa where his prison yeah. is. Um, so I don't know. I mean, and then you got to wonder too, like his B story, are we to assume that he gets, he he gets free. So then it's like, okay, well, if he's free, then what? Like, I mean, there's a lot swirling around and I'm just, I keep wondering is three episodes enough to wrap all this up. I mean, it should be, but they've, he's an, in typical yeah. Lindelof fashion. He's asked a lot of questions. Uh, and we've gotten answers, thankfully a lot of answers, but it, are the important answers going to come when we need them to? <sighs> we all hold our breath. I, I wonder, so, um, my other thought is that I, I wonder if we will end up doing an episode a week now on this because every episode has so much stuff in it, or mm-hmm. if we'll be able to do one episode on episodes seven and eight, and then another podcast after nine and kind of fully digest it, you know? Oh, uh, I hope so. Well, let's look ahead again. The next three are titled an almost religious awe. That's next week. Then a God walks into a bar and then see how they fly. So, we don't know. We don't know. I know. I. I mean, it's honestly, it's you know, it's, it's just it's the best thing to watch right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, who knew? Who who, who knew? knew? Who knew? 
You know, I yeah. always saw when HBO was, you know, when we were watching Game of Thrones and HBO was like, coming soon. And you saw the like dark materials trailer and you're like, that looks badass. And then you saw the Watchmen thing. And you're like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll give it a watch. It's probably okay. And never realizing it was this, that th- this is yeah. sort of the the level at which they aspired. It's like, holy well, crap. And like I said a few weeks ago, after The Boys, I thought, oh, you know, what's Watchmen going to do? It's just going to end up looking like The Boys, like a bunch of anti-hero hero yeah, things. Yep, and yep. I just had no idea. And this is such an amazing piece of work. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh, said, I think we covered it. Well, we until uh, our next episode, whatever that may be on, you can find all our past episodes um, at panelism.inc. That is a real top-level domain, .inc. And we're also on Instagram at panelism.inc. And that's probably the best place to chat with us and stuff like that. Um, anyway, that's all I got to plug. We're, yeah, go, I, go go buy if you haven't read. I mean, there's some people watching this show who have not read the original graphic novel. Go and buy it. Even while the show is still going on. Uh, yeah, go, honestly, yeah, for go sure. Go buy it. Go read it. I was telling another friend who's, you know, highly he, he's not a big comics fan. I'm like, man, if you're he's he's very literary though. So I'm like, if you're mm-hmm. ever gonna read comics as literature, Watchmen is one of the top five books you could pick. Um and it's like, read it and then watch the show because he's been lamenting he has nothing to watch, which is insane to say yeah. in this day and age. And I was like, but go go read it. Go watch. You can read it over Thanksgiving, you know, uh, and just jump in. And then if you yeah. really like it, go back and, and we, we have some before Watchmen picks we can send your way. So, yeah, no, I agree. It is it is in the best way, like supplemental material. And this is supplemental material for that. And the, like it's all jumbled in a you're not going to spoil anything by reading it and you're also not going to be disappointed i think at least at this point we'll see definitely not going to spoil <laughs> it. you'll just get more context more context especially with Lori blake being who she is like the way gene smart's playing her and just oh yeah you're, you'll get a sense of like oh where did she come from like what's her deal oh that's why she's the way she is interesting yeah and watchman was always playing with the past you know watchman came yeah. out and it was like there was already like a whole history of the Minutemen in their early versions. And then some mm-hmm. of them, you know, stayed around and some of them, there were Night Owl 2 and Silk Spectre 2. And, you know, it was like, so I, I feel like it all just kind of, it, it mixes together. And especially with the before Watchmen picks you got, you know? Yeah. Um, I would throw Silk Spectre in there just, uh, just for the arc alone. I mean, it's yeah. all, I think it's all Amanda Connor, right? Um, yeah. Silk it's Spectre. a fun little, it's a fun little, it's very, very psychedelic in sixties. It's a fun little story yeah. though. Um, yeah, I like that. That one's actually, if you get the hardcover, uh, volumes, Minutemen and Silk Spectre are in the same hardcover book. Awesome. So you can get both of those. And I think Dr. Man, sorry, um, Ozymandias is his own thing. I think that their version of the, uh, I think it's called the Crimson Corsair. That was their yes. sort of, uh, Tales of the Black Trader or what, Black Raider. Black Raider, yeah. And then Dr. Manhattan and Night Owl are in the same collection. You can get these all separately if you want to, too. The only one I haven't read that I didn't really like was the comedian one it's about his exploits in vietnam and just felt clunky and then um oh the rorschach one that one's pretty good too um although the art on that one is a little weird and actually i like it sounds strange to hear i actually prefer the the way rorschach is kind of depicted in the night owl book because you see a lot of rorschach in that book too actually makes more sense i think um, so anyway, do check those out. Check us out. We'll be back next week. And until then, uh, happy reading, happy watching. <laughs>